Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The story of T-Rex's Mark Bolin is one of those rock and roll fables that seems so trite that it must have been written by some second-rate Hollywood screenwriter. The truth, however, is that Mark Bolin's tale serves as the basis for these overused rock cliches as he led a wild and unfortunately short life full of fame, excess, pageantry, and incredible music. This week, we're joined by actor and musician Danny Tamborelli to dive into the history of the godfather of glam rock. Together, we try to figure out how Banga Gong Get It On was T-Rex's only U.S. hit, considering the Beatles themselves claim that T-Rex-tacy was bigger than Beatlemania ever was in the U.K. One hit is all you need to make the money guaranteed And you can live off royalties forever And it makes me wonder, is it just a wonder or is it one hit thunder? Danny, welcome to the show. I am extremely excited to do this episode with you because I gotta be honest, I knew the T-Rex songs. When Matt told me that you wanted to do T-Rex, I was like, nice, Children of the Revolution. And he's like, no, not that song. It's <laughs> Get It On, Bang a Gong. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. I didn't even realize Children of the Revolution, which I love that song, was not even a hit in the U.S. So I got I to gotta ask you first, what made you choose T-Rex for this episode? Well, truth be told, uh, one of you sent a list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. Uh, That's perfect. <laughs> when my manager sent it to me and she, she's like, do you have any ideas? I was like, oh, I get to pick? Right. <laughs> and so I was like, cool. And I thought Thunderclap Newman is one of these songs that I always think is like a one-hit wonder, like, you know, whatever. Mm. But I know nothing about them right. at all. And so I was like, well, let me take a gander at what you guys want to do. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm a, a very big, specific time frame T-Rex fan. I got to tell you, man, I didn't know much about T-Rex before this episode. And the story behind T-Rex, a.k.a. T-Rex is pretty much Mark Bolin and Mark Bolin only. And a cast of yes. a cast of characters otherwise that he would cast aside every step of the way to to just gain popularity, whatever he had to do. Sure. I, okay. We, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm interested to talk about this. Yeah. But Mark Boland's story is like a combination of spinal tap and walk hard. Every step of the way. Oh I'm like, my God. It's seriously, <laughs> dude, it seriously is. I don't know if either you got, I'll tell you this right now. I, in preparation for this episode, I watched an entire documentary on Mark Boland and my mind is blown. Okay, that's all I got to say. So I don't know how deep either of you go into the Mark Boland story, but I feel like there's several parts of this story that you're going to love if you don't go that deep. 
I when we picked this when when Danny picked this topic, the first thing that came to my mind was that my first introduction to T-Rex was the movie Billy Elliot that has an all T-Rex soundtrack. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, so it's like the opening song is Cosmic Dancer and then Bang the Gong is in there and I Like to Boogie is in there. Like, I don't know why that that was a choice that they made for that movie, but yeah, I was like, oh, who's this T-Rex band when I was in high school and saw Billy Elliot for the first time? So here we go with the beginning of one of the craziest rock and roll stories that I've ever learned about, okay? Mark Bolin, from a very young age, said that he was going to be bigger than the Beatles. He just knew he was going to be a star even before he played music. He told everyone he saw he's going to be famous. He's going to be a rock star. He's going to be bigger than the Beatles. So we're talking nine years old. He's saying this kind of stuff. Yeah. So so that's so wait that's nineteen. We're talking early sixties. Early sixties. Yeah. Okay. Okay. He's saying that. Yeah. Because he 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 died in seventy seven at right twenty nine or thirty. Yeah. So early sixties. So he's saying. Yeah, that's insane. That's just like everything is just breaking. Right. It's just everything is new anyway. He had that vision of like yeah okay. He had the foresight, and I'm going to do it better. Mark Bolin, this young guy who just believes in himself so much, by the time he's in his late teens or so, he meets this manager and he joins this band called John's Children, who were not a very good band, but they were a bunch of very hot guys. <laughs> so so he's in this band of hot guys. A little dabble do you. Yeah. And he is, he's this wild front man of this band of hot guys. So that's how he gets his start. And they're kind of psychedelic but they're not very good they're trying to be like the doors and they're they're not very good uh they their music is not good a lot of that the 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 english doing socal psychedelic was Mm -hmm. you know like joe strummer and the 101ers like all that stuff is just like i i I know it's like ventura highway like no you don't know you've never fucking been on the ventura highway (laughs) ever you, and you know, yeah, like I, I just you can you can be regional, you can have the sound, but be <laughs> regional with your lyrics for crying out loud. Right. And this this was not working for uh, Mark Bolin. So he starts an acoustic duo called Tyrannosaurus Rex. We are not T-Rex yet, we are Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yes. Not, not Yes. Not 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 very good. <laughs> not very good. But but Tyrannosaurus Rex did have uh, I did read that Sparks specifically nice. said that they were inspired by the Tyrannosaurus Rex years, <laughs> not the T Rex years in their songwriting. Okay, well, right. But That's, how do we differentiate ourselves? But well, we're the Tyrannosaurus Rex inspired T Rex, yeah. not the, the only... T Rex T Rex. The only band in the influences page that was like specifically calling out the T Rex era or the Tyrannosaurus Rex era. As the good times. Yeah, well... Like, yeah, that's, those are not good times. Well, <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rex was an acoustic duo. Mark would sit on the ground, and he would sing these gibberish lyrics. Like, an example of one of the lyrics is Salamander Palagander. And uh, he did it with his bandmate at the time, Stephen Took. Took, who, yeah. Yeah, who would play bongos and assorted percussion, including children's instruments such as the pixiphone. They were very, very psychedelic, and they kind of had a hippie following. But I mean, this sounds like every band that I've ever seen on the street in Williamsburg. Right. It, yeah. just, it just it feels exactly, exactly how it feels like. What are you playing, sir? My kid's avocado guitar. Right. It makes good sounds. <laughs> With, with classic album titles at this time, like, my people were fair and had sky in their hair, but now they're content to wear stars in their bows. Right. <laughs> but, but the UK hippies dug them. People were into them. It was what was cool at the time. And they were a psychedelic type band. And they said that Mark really had magnetism. People were really into him. He was always sat on the ground and played guitar. And... It was very psychedelic music, but Mark Bolin did not use drugs. He was afraid of what his own mind would do. On the other hand, Steve Took 
took lots of took drugs. Took a lot of drugs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Steve Took was very into drugs. And mm. uh, what's funny about that is that so they recorded three albums and they were gaining gaining a fan base and they were they had a contract to come over to the United States and play shows. And at this point, they were recording their fourth album and Steve Took wanted to write some songs. And Mark Boland was like, no, <laughs> we're not we're not doing your songs. And Steve Took was pissed about that. But they were contractually obligated to come over and do this tour in the United States, which was a terrible tour. They were playing with electric bands and yeah, just really out of place. Yeah, it was not good for them. So Steve Took already being pissed about the fact they weren't playing their songs was then doing things to try to be like a shock rocker. He was beating himself with a belt on stage until he bled. And just that's a, that's a whiskey a go go story, I think. I yeah, think he was in, I think he was in L.A. and people right. were like, "Whoa, we like this." Right. Drop your <laughs> pants. Show us your dick, yeah. like Morrison. Yeah, it was not. <laughs> it was not working, and Mark Boland was not having it after the tour. And Mark Boland kicked him out when they got back. So. That was the end of Steve Took. He will appear in the story again later on. But at this point, it's about 1967. Uh, Mark Bolin is very inspired by seeing a performance of Ravi Shankar. And he adopted the stage manner resembling the, you know, Ravi Shankar's traditional Indian music sort, sort of thing. At this point, also, Bolin started playing electric guitar. Okay. And, uh, you know, got himself a Les Paul, I heard. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> you know, at, at this point, uh, BBC disc jockey John Peel really championed uh, what became now T-Rex. It was no longer Tyrannosaurus Rex. It was T-Rex. What a monster John Peel was. Yes. You can any any of the bands you really care about from that era had a John Peel session. Yes. All of them are phenomenal. And John Peel absolutely championed Mark Bolin and, and T-Rex. Like, he would bring him on the show. I think at, at some point he would do – John Peel would do these live shows, and several times he had T-Rex and John Bolin with him. He absolutely can be credited with T-Rex's rise at this point. Like, absolutely the number one reason why so many people were finding out about T-Rex. And also at this point – Mark Bolin, he's not sitting on the ground anymore. He's now standing up and playing. Oh, he's he's made that he's that's growth. Yes, <laughs> that's that's evolution of stage presence. To quote it, to quote a great prophet, Forrest Gump, "I got new legs." Yes, you got new legs. <laughs> standing on so, up. So I want to I want to pause this story real quick to ask a question. Okay, go on a little tangent. You do. You two are both musicians. You've played with bands. I can't play an instrument really to save my life, but I've seen bands. Um, have you ever seen groups that did weird stage presence stuff like that? Like one of the ones that I remember was this weird band called Cool Hand Luke that their setup was that they would play with their backs to the audience. So it'd be the drum set up front with the drummer's back and then the bass amps and stuff, and that was how they would play their sets, not mm. facing the audience for 30 mm. straight minutes. Uh, that what The Smashing Pumpkins were one quarter Cool Hand Luke because Darcy used to play with him back, and that pissed me off. I saw him <laughs> once, and I was so angry. I was like, you're, you're at Radio City Music Hall, Darcy. Turn around! It's one of the greatest halls in the world! Turn around! It's funny because then Darcy got replaced by a past uh, one hit thunder guest, Katie Cole, who came on here and she faces forward. So, uh, there you so, go. Yeah, you so know, that's a step up. Give, give the people what they want. Um, I'm trying to think of weird, <laughs> I, weird antics. I did go to Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts, and we had a, a every Halloween we had a it was called Hampshire Halloween. It was basically like the most psychedelic party you could have where everyone was just on drugs like lsd or mushrooms or molly or whatever and just like there was sanctioned safe space by the school because they knew that everyone was just like out of their brains wow. and they had bands all the time and sometimes those bands you know would try to push the envelope with kids on drugs with like stage antics and like fake blood and stuff like that but 
nothing, no band I can actually remember their name. (laughs) Probably because I was under the influence as well. The The ones that I can think of, one of them, which guarantee you they were T-Rex influenced, and we actually did a one-hit thunder about them, was Jellyfish. Who? Oh yeah. Uh, who? Their lead singer was also their drummer, who played a stand-up drum kit and sang. And uh, you know, oh, one of right. my yeah. one of my favorite bands. The other one I could think of, like that, Matt. Speaking of sitting on the ground, was back in like two thousand five, two thousand six or so. Punchline toured with a band called Jupiter Sunrise, and during their set, they would go off the stage into the middle of the audience and sit down. And have the crowd sit down around them, and they they were very hippie-ish, <laughs> and <laughs> and do uh, oh they had a song called Sa- I believe it was called Save Me, and they would just do like this beautiful uh, acoustic with perfect three part harmonies uh, with the crowd surrounding them. That's that's kind of the the hippie-ish thing I remember mm. of a band we've played with. But uh, yeah, I had a couple others that just popped into my head: the Voluptuous Horror of Karen Black. They were like they were all dressed up in like horror gore stuff and they mm. do stuff like that on stage. I played in a, a Weezer cover band that only did the blue album. That's it. Okay. <laughs> called, <laughs> called the Undone Sweaters. And uh uh during Only in Dreams I would pass out because it's the same baseline over and over and over again, <laughs> and that was the shtick. Right. So I'd literally fall onto the stage and just like keep playing it but be out and they would be playing and trying to resuscitate me and then I would come <laughs> back up. So that that was that's that's all the shtick I got. There you go. <laughs> Your stick is that you get to take a little bit of a nap in the middle of the set. (laughs) Danny, I'm I'm glad you didn't let those acting chops go to waste. That sounds like like a a good use. Um, Okay, (laughs) we got to continue with the Mark Boland story because it gets gets more and more walk hard as we go. I mean, all the parallels (laughs) to walk hard, which I think is one of the funniest movies ever, they just become more and more evident as we go through this story. So at this point, Mark abandons the hippie culture pretty much completely. And the hippie fans are pissed. They're like, what the fuck? Like, that's what we like. And he's just going this whole other direction. There are tens of thousands of hippies that bought his poetry book. Yes. Right? That's something I did. That's something I did read that, like, he was, like, the best-selling poet in England in 1971. Yes. Which is, like, mind-blowing. Like, okay, Jeepster, I get it. It's crazy, too, because... (laughs) On the documentary I watched, there were these people that were in his orbit that were talking about it, and they were like, his poetry was terrible. It was like <laughs> nonsense. It was like nonsense, terrible poetry. And, I mean, people... That's the Jim, Morrison, the Jim Morrison parallel continues. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but at this point, <laughs> Mark's like, I want nothing to do with the hippie culture. And he's his head at this point is blowing up his bands becoming popular. He's telling everyone he's going to become a rock God. His, his arrogance is just through the roof. Okay. At this point, talking about the end of his hippie era into his glam rock era, T-Rex headlines, the very first Glastonbury festival in 1970. And they're, they're headlining it. They're, they're the final band and they come out and the whole audience booze okay and so <laughs> this is literally like the story of dylan going electric that's like yeah. what i'm hearing is like the early version yeah. of that well what's funny about <laughs> it is in attendance he's a big dylan fan too. <laughs> in attendance yeah. at this first glastonbury festival is billy idol who watched this and recounted this in the documentary i watched he said that he said that mark and you know whoever was playing with him it was always a rotating cast of people who were playing with him T-Rex is Mark Bolin. I want to make that clear that Mark Bolin is T-Rex, but they come out and he said that Mark Bolin just leaned into the microphone while the audience is booing and said, fuck off, (laughs) which is just, just the ultimate thing. And he said at that point, the crowd was like, okay, he doesn't care. Like whatever. And he played and like won the crowd over. He rocked and won the crowd over. And from this point, obviously the band adopted an electric sound. Their popularity was on the rise. And then at this point also, 
Mark Bolin went from this like salamander, palagander, uh, hippie poetry into like really overtly sexual lyrics. He would do struts on stage, little dances, poses, much to the dismay of his earlier fans. His, <laughs> his new persona gained him way more fans. And he also did shows in a very punk rock sort of way where he kept the, he kept the prices really low to attract a younger audience. And it, you know, it was around this point that he had his first hit. Big thanks to John Peel, uh, ride a white swan, which made them the pioneers of the glam rock movement. And that song Ooh. became a mega hit in 1970 in the UK. Uh, I'd like to add a note to yes. that. If that's fair. John Peel had a big thing to do with T-Rex, but more importantly, in my opinion, is Tony Visconti's yes. presence with him is what really did that. Because truth be told, you listen to Man Who Sold the World, that mm -hmm. David Bowie record that he produced. I think that's the first one that, that Visconti produced. He plays bass on all those tracks. And the following two, they didn't use him. And it, Ken Scott produced... Uh, Ziggy Stardust and and uh, uh, oh god, most of my brain, uh, Hunky Dory. Mm -hmm. um, but it was all there, and I think, I think, that, I think that he, Visconti was really he had his finger on the pulse in terms of like what was cool. But but like when I think of glam rock, like I understand that like it, the visually, mm -hmm. Mark Bolin is glam rock, but I still think T Rex half of the, the songs on the records were still kind of like, I think the way I think of glam rock is like stone, like, like, you know, again, like I think of the New York dolls and that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that they, they're those, those parallels are, are there and, and they sure watched Mark Bowen before mm -hmm. David Johansson got into it. Right. But they still, there was still a little bit of Tyrannosaurus Rex on electric warrior and on the slider. And like, it never like, fully visualized to me personally they were pop they were pop yeah it's like a more power pop scenario yeah sure i think that historically you do look at like all right this is all happening simultaneously with like the stooges in new york and like the velvet underground and the, like all of these are happening at the same time so it's almost like they're feeding off of each other i think that it's more that he was able to quantify what was happening in the underground to a to a bigger level because i forget who it was that said it but like i remember someone saying it never pays to be the first musician to do a new genre <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. like nirvana is looked at as this band that started the grunge explosion, but Nirvana wouldn't have existed if stuff like Mother Love Bone wasn't already happening and mm -hmm. them going, ooh, I can take that and do something. Yeah. I can tweak it just a bit. And I think that that T-Rex, yeah, yeah, like T-Rex took what was there and was like, I know how to tweak this just the right way so that this isn't like a New York and UK underground sound, but something that everybody wants to tune in for now fair i just i i there's just like there's too many because visconti did all that this stuff yes. with bowie yeah. right and 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 uh ride a white swan was visconti's first ever like hit single like mm -hmm. he was yeah. like he was really young and just i'm a huge david bowie fan and, and like i my dad turned me on to like stuff that visconti produced like back in the day which is how i ultimately the only T-Rex I really knew was <laughs> Get It On, Bang a Cop, right. and Children of the Revolution, and mm -hmm. 20th Century Boy, which I knew from watching Velvet Goldmine and Placebo doing that on that on the, the uh, soundtrack for that, which is great. Like, they crushed that song. Mm -hmm. But that was, like, me del you know, diving deeper into it and seeing how much, you know, where, he, where Visconti was and what he was doing. Right. And... You know, he was doing this stuff with Bowie, you know, with, before. So I, I feel, I, I'm just saying, like, I feel like he, he was certainly a, 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 an architect in what was happening. Absolutely, and, man. And, and Mark Bowen was the poster child for it because he looked the part. Right. He, he, he had all the, he had everything. Like Bowie still hadn't gotten to Ziggy yet. And I feel like I'm sure, I'm sure that crossover was like, you know, yeah. oh, 
Oh, he's doing that? Well, I'm fucking Ziggy Stardust now, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, I mean, Mark, Dol- Mark Boland opened the door for a lot of people. And I think it's, it is cool that you're bringing up Tony Visconti. He was all over the documentary that I watched. And oh, sure. it is important to note that because you're talking about a guy who went from playing on the floor, hippie acoustic music that made no sense, to Ride a White Swan, which is uh, vastly different. So someone had to be the influence and shape that. And, and Tony Visconti being the architect of that is very important to note because yeah, Mark Boland wouldn't have been where he was without him. Do you like quarter note hand claps in the background of your song? (laughs) Come take a listen to this. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaking microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that, uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers, think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe to Grind podcast. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! We probably should have started the episode with this because, Danny, we've had people very upset with us recently about things like about us doing episodes about songs like Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil, where we have... We have a bunch of people from Australia who listen to our show who are like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Midnight Oil <laughs> Midnight Oil has like 50 hits. And we're like, well, our show is United States specific. When we're talking about one hit wonders, we're talking about the United States. Hot 100. Yes. yes. <laughs> and the reason I note that is because at this point, T-Rex went on a tear in the UK where they had 11 singles in the UK top 10, including four number one hits that were Hot Love, Telegram Sam, Metal Mm. Guru, and of course, the song we're talking about today, Get It On, which was just called Get It On there, whereas they changed it for the United States where it became Bang A Gong, Get It On. This era was referred to as T-Rextasy, which was compared, and a lot of people, including the Beatles themselves, say that this era was bigger in the UK than Beatlemania. Paul McCartney said that T-Rex and Mark Boland were his favorite artists, and he claimed they were the only British group he liked because they were so original. And the Beatles themselves claimed that T-Rex were bigger than the Beatles ever were in the UK. How crazy is that? Are you familiar with the liner notes of the slider? I am not. Why? So the picture, the front cover and the back cover are two pictures. Okay. One of is the front and then just the back with the hat, the big top top hat on. Okay. Guess who took guess who took that picture? Was it Ringo? That's correct. Yeah. How big are you? Well, I want to be bigger than the Beatles. In fact, I want that fucking drummer in the back. He's going to take the picture for our record. He's going to take my pictures and he's going to make a documentary about my band. That's how big my band's going to be. The drummer of the most famous band of all time is going to do a documentary about my band. I want to draw attention real quick because you did point out something that that Paul McCartney said that T-Rex was like one of the only artists, specifically the only UK artists that he truly liked. 
Um, and I want to draw attention to what was the number one song on the charts when T-Rex peaked. Because the number one song on the charts in the United States, when this peaked at number 10 on March 4th, 1972, the number one song was by another artist that all of the Beatles had said was their favorite group. Oh, let me guess. And Let me guess. I guess. Harry Nielsen? Yeah. Harry Nielsen, Without You, uh, was the number one song in America. Arguably one of the greatest songs ever recorded. Yes. It's one of the the best, yeah. Wow. So this album, Electric Warrior, that Get It On was on, it reached number one in the UK, and it became this landmark glam rock album. Uh, Get It On was track one of side B of the album. And like I said, it was renamed for the United States. But this is very important to note in this story. Because I feel like this is a real turning point. Uh, John Peel, the biggest champion of T-Rex, hated the song. And he, <laughs> he publicly talked shit. He's like, I don't, I don't like this song. And that ended the friendship. At that point, Mark Bolin was like, well, fuck you, buddy. Like, you know, even though John Peel was such a big part of their success. There's too many horns on that record. There's too many horns. Too much arranging. Too, yes. much, too much Visconti on that song. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean... John Peel did not like it. And this it was at this point where Mark Bolin really became known for just discarding people left and right. He had all these different managers, all these different bandmates, just anyone he could step on to get to the top. Nothing could stop him. And it's also important to notice at this point when just Mark Bolin's ego is out of control and he is just at his peak. T-Rextasy is at its peak. The video that I don't know if people listening to this have watched. Danny, I don't know if you've watched what is considered kind of the music video for this. It is the Top of the Pops performance. Like he's got like Native Americans like vest on and big hair. Yeah, but do no? you do you know who's miming the piano in the video? No. Elton John. <laughs> Elton oh John is pretending to play <laughs> piano for you know those Top of the Pops performances where mm-hmm. you know you pretend to play. I quick side note. Danny, have you ever had to fake play? No. You know? No, never had never had to really fake play. What what why I bring that up is at one point my band played on this show on Fox hosted by Howie Mandel called Mobbed and and we so they wanted us to play I want you to want me, okay? In which we we planned on playing our own song on this show. That was the first plan, but then they're like, "No, you got to play this cheap trick song." And we're like, Okay, fine. So we rented out this practice space. We learned the song. We crushed it. We're like, we're ready to do this. And then it was the day of filming on this show. And they're like, oh, you're just going to pretend to play. And we're like, what the? It was like a crisis because we've had all these years of like, you know, a reputation as a good live band. We're like, we got to pretend to play. And it was like the biggest crisis our band ever faced was like having Mm. to fake play, which in the end, it was fine. No one could really tell that we were fake playing. Like we pulled it off. But when we do these episodes about all these, like, you know, uh, T-Rex and Queen and whoever, all these artists who are amazing played on top of the pops and fake played. And I'm like, why were we so stressed about it? Every good band ever did this at some point. But as far as T-Rex goes, one thing I do want to note, because I said it was my favorite T-Rex song. Have you guys seen the Children of the Revolution video by any chance? No. Mm-mm. Dude, you guys and all the listeners have to go watch it. It's them. It's, you know, a performance video, like a Top of the Pops type of thing. But the room is full of adults and children. And they, everybody, including the children, all look very stoned. And they're doing some of the most unenthusiastic dancing I've ever seen. It looks like <laughs> looks like they're possessed. And, and it reminds me, Danny, I don't know if where you're at, you have a restaurant called Texas Roadhouse. Have you ever been to a uh, Texas Roadhouse? I, I have been to a Texas Roadhouse, Okay, yes. so every once in a while, Texas Roadhouse, some country music will start playing, and the staff is forced to to line dance <laughs> and it is some of the saddest most unenthusiastic line dancing you ever see and that's what the people in this video reminded me look of. we'll give you four dollars an hour for yeah. waiting but also you have to do a line dance yes. once every three hours yes that that's, is that's terrible yes it's, i always feel bad for the for the uh, staff when they have to do that when my son uh was still inside my wife uh, <laughs> i used to make i made playlists for for him because I thought that was a cool thing to do, and I and I did it for my my daughter too. And Children of the Revolution is was in heavy rotation. If my son comes in here again, 
I can I can att- he'll attest to it. Nice. I, I like I like children of the revolution. That's what he says right now. <laughs> it's one of those things where you like put on that kind of music and you see like the instant visceral reaction that it has. Uh-huh. Like not being like cognizant and and a preteen or a teen or an adult or whatever, but like you know, he was like eighteen months old and I put on Children of the Revolution and like he just like and he like starts swaying and stuff to the side like really like truly truly feels it i think that says something about how good of a song it is do you think that like guys like paul weller and and mark bullen who had significant significant success in the uk and like barely anything here Mm -hmm. like the jam the jam had more number one hits than the beatles Mm mm-hmm yeah. Are you gonna hear fucking down in the tube station on on right. American radio? Right. No, <laughs> Children right. of the and Revolution. That, like, how did that not? How is that not a number one song? How is Twentieth Century Boy not a number one or a top ten song? I Telegram think- Sam, I guess, hit a little bit, but like even that, I'm surprised with because a lot of the T Rex. I mean, like Mark Boland didn't need a drummer. Period. He could have just had like a Univox like 1970s drum machine mm-hmm. and and pressed rock one yeah. and everything. We could play behind it and just be like boom, ta, boom. right? You know, just there's nothing to it. And but like there's but he and like the guitar work, there's just something so special about it. It, just, it always one of the other reasons why I thought it'd be fun to talk about this because it is. It is surprising me the small amount of work between 1970 and 1972. Mm-hmm. The T Rex stuff that came out should have been way bigger here in the states than it was. It's it's also interesting to think about because you look at like like you look at the long list of like who did this influence right like who were the groups that formed out of a love of the T uh, out of T Rex or that like maybe shifted their sound a little bit and a lot of it are people from the states like there are a lot of uk bands for sure but it's like you still got like the pixies jumping in there rem the ramones like all of these groups that like cite this band as like one of the huge influences on their songwriting and i'm looking at this list and it like totally makes sense right wikipedia lists barely scratches the surface they say like the stooges new york dolls the ramones joy division rem the smiths the pixies the one that i love that's on here is tricky the the uh 90s trip hop british rapper but i'm like sure why like like i think that that says so much about what is well, think so about all cool the, about the this. sexual connotations and all the massive yeah. attack songs that is strictly <laughs> like, coming out of his mouth it makes sense <laughs> yeah like i'm just like it's cool but yeah you're right how did this not obviously I know people the in the states got it oh i want the answer <laughs> i Tell know the, i know the i actually know the answer to this because matt wanted to start talking to me about this before we record i'm like dude just save it for i i this is the ultimate rock and roll story of a peaks and valleys. And that's why I compare it to things like walk hard, because at this point, Danny, you already alluded to this. Uh, the 1972 follow-up album, the slider, it entered the top 20 in the U S and then we already talked about it too. In 1972, the, the film about the band born to boogie that was shot by Ringo Starr and his crew. And it featured two T-Rex shows in Wembley. At this point, Mark Bolin his arrogance is out of control. He's hanging out with Ringo Starr. He's hanging out with Elton John. He's hanging out with Alice Cooper. He's at the top of the world. Now everybody he's hanging out with is doing lots of drugs. And at this point, just the, the standard rock and roll story, <laughs> Mark Boland becomes an unbearable cokehead. He is just out of control, unbearable. He becomes a parody of himself. He had, I don't know if you guys, <laughs> you guys can find videos of this. It's really funny. He had this gigantic star. So he would start out laying on the ground and this gigantic like lit up star would elevate him. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it it would make him like stick up to upright position. And it was so big. It was like something out of spinal tap. He couldn't fit it on buses or planes. It was a huge pain in the ass for his crew. Everybody was pissed at him. Nobody liked him. People were laughing at him. Like how ridiculous. Mark, you gotta lose the star, Mark. You gotta lose the star. No, you're gone. You're fired. Yeah, right. (laughs) He's unbearable. He releases the album tanks in 1973. He's still wearing the same clothes, but he's like 
kind of entered his <laughs> Elvis stage. People are calling him Porky Pixie at this point. Everybody's talking shit on him. Um, so many people are happy to see his downfall because he was so terrible to so many people. Like he is just so disliked. And at this point, this is, I wanted to prep, you know, do this little bit of prefacing to, he comes to the United States to tour and his ego's out of control. And you're asking why T-Rex did not have more hits in the United States. Well, keep in mind, he comes to the U S the Vietnam war is still going on. And he comes to the U.S. dressed in his glam rock gear. He's got the glitter on his face, the crazy outfits. And he comes over here and he's like, let's party. Let's go. And as you can guess, that did not appeal, especially to middle America. People did not dig it at all. They were not into it. His gender bending style. People were just, you know, we're we're not buying this in the U.S. You ain't gonna open for Molly Hatchet or no one. Nope, it wasn't. <laughs> it was not happening. This was his downfall. He did not, you know, Bang a Gong, Get It On was a top ten hit, but other than that, no real success in the U.S. Despite the fact that there was, you know, T Rex to see for a few years. So think about this, guys. Think about how fast. His rise and fall was. We're talking 1967. He's sitting on a stage with the hippies. By 1971, 72, T-Rex to is happening. And by 1973, 74, he's now on his way down. And, um, you know, it's at this point he meets Gloria Jones, who had been a backup singer for Joe Cocker. She'd been a Motown songwriter for like 10 years. She's She originally recorded Tainted Love. She and Mark began a relationship. She actually played with T-Rex and he had his kid, Roland, who funny enough, Roland Bolin. You know, he, he was Roland Bolin was born in 1975. Mark started making music that was more a mix of rock and R&B. Fans weren't really willing to follow him down this path of rock, R&B and even disco that he was making. But it must be noted at this point, Mark became a likable person again. After the birth of his son, he became very likable. Yeah. Well, he is, he is, he, you can see where the glam blows you up and then the soul comes back and the, mm -hmm. the funk and the disco. And you're like, oh, I could kind of chill out. There's a couple quaaludes, maybe. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> he, he was cool. A lot of that can be attributed to being in love and, and having a kid at that point. And then, he had a TV show that only lasted six episodes. It was called Mark, and it was on ITV in the UK. Uh, but on this show, he really gave a platform to punk rock, to, to early punk rock artists. He had the jam on the show. The Boomtown Rats were on the show. Billy Idol made his first appearance on the show as part of Generation X. And David Bowie actually played with, he played a song with Mark on the show on the final episode. And fittingly enough, Mark fell off the stage during the performance and they cut the song. So the, the, the show only lasted six episodes. <laughs> so it was around 1977 where Elvis died and Mark uh, told one of his friends, he went, if I went now, I'd only be a paragraph on page three. But that showed to not be true because four weeks after Elvis died, Mark died in a car accident with Gloria Jones driving yeah. yeah, with his girlfriend, Gloria Jones. And they tried to press charges on Gloria, which I don't think held up. Mark died on the very same day as renowned opera singer Maria Callas. Uh, and Mark was actually on the front page and she was on page three of the paper that day. And they said Mark would have been really happy about that because only a month earlier, he, <laughs> he, he noted. And also, God, also- That's so dark. Yeah. <laughs> also crazy enough, back in 1966, Mark had told his friend that if he die, he would die in a mini. And that's what he died in. Gloria Jones was also very uh, injured in this accident. And uh, that's where his rock and roll story ended, which, you know, was kind of a story of- this meteoric rise and then the giant crash and then redemption by the end redemption you know with the family and becoming like a, a cool person again and you know it's kind of the ultimate story and he was such an influence on so many people i wanted to note to you guys speaking of dark things steve took who you will remember from very early in the story the original bandmate he actually died in 1980 by choking on a cocktail cherry 
which was pretty pretty crazy. Um, I was I was hoping you were gonna say he cut his hands off because he was tired of doing no. all the percussion. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. T Rex was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2020, and uh, you know us dumb Americans, we mostly know "Get It On" "Bang a Gong," which is you know when you look at the lyrics of it, it's pretty like you know sexual in- innuendos all over the place, mm-hmm. but. Uh, mm. That's kind of how we well, he, what is it? He, a diamond star hubcap halo. I mean, give me yeah. a fucking break. Right. <laughs> you can strut I, with that pretty good. You're my dirty. He, sweet. He, <laughs> yeah. You're my dirty sweet. You're he my girl. really, I mean, if you go back to what you said at the very beginning about him being, he's going to be more popular or he wants to be bigger than the Beatles. And at that time when all of rock and roll was just like fast blues and just being, you know, just being played pepped up and and whatever like you can those those two records in particular i mean it's all it's all just that like just that slinky rhythm guitar that that he's playing that just drives everything mm-hmm. and like if you play telegram sam for a little bit and then you play bang a gong for a second you could be like is that the same song Right, right. Like they, they, he had like a, he had a formula mm-hmm. that worked. Right. You know, same way, again, the dolls and all that. They just, you can, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, he, he, he laid groundwork and then everybody kind of pepped it up even more. Yeah. Because I do still feel like there is that, like, there's a piece of glam rock that is a little bit more, like, pre punky, you know? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it is. Like it's just that's like, He's considered kind of a godfather of punk rock in a lot of circles. Sure. And another thing about this guy, just the guy, Mark Bolin, music aside, which he, one thing that a lot of people said about him is he really pumped out songs. Writing songs was just second nature to him. But even the personality, the person Mark Bolin, just as he knew from the time he was a little kid, he was born to be a rock star. He just had the personality for it. He had the cutthroat, you know, whatever I got to do to get to the top sort of mentality and, you know, the the personality that went along with it, maybe a little bit narcissistic. Or, oh, or yeah. ego, personal, maybe. personal tunnel vision, man. Yeah. Total yeah. personal tunnel vision. Well, so at, at this point in the show, we would normally decide if T-Rex is a one-hit thunder or one-hit blunder. I, I don't think that's necessary this week. I'm pretty sure we'd all be like, you know, T-Rex to see. Like, obviously, yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. they brought the thunder. The blunder is on the United States for not, like, grasping onto more of these songs. So a in, bunch of, just a being a bunch of homophobes. Yeah. You know, but, it's just like really like ridiculous to think about that. You know, it's just, it's the timing was bad. Middle, middle, Amer- middle America. They embraced, they embraced Prince. Yeah. yeah. So why couldn't, they, why couldn't they embrace yeah. the queen? That's it. Oh, uh, you know, the, oh he, he was with a woman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie Mercury. He was only dabbling. Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of that normal segment, I want to ask real quick, Danny, what do you got going on? Is there anything you want to promote uh, before we wrap well, up the episode? Well, can, I, can I, before Danny says that, can I, can I talk to you for a second, just in general? I'm thrilled to be talking to you, man. You're, oh, thank you. You're, thank you're, you so much. You're a peer of mine, but I, I grew up watching you, loving Pete and Pete. Dude, I, I said this to Matt, like, and I don't know if you, I'm sure you thought about it, but like, even I wouldn't say more than Pete and Pete, but you're a freaking mighty duck. Like, do you know, do you know that like, I have an assist. People say I don't have any stats in the movie, but I have a fucking assist. Yeah. Okay. I passed a goal. I passed it to my sister who scored a goal. So that's an assist. That's a fucking point. Hey, you know, and, and even, even past that, you know, I grew up playing hockey, so I was the biggest Mighty Ducks fan in the world. So, so beyond Pete and Pete, dude, you, your your band Jounce, so fucking good. Um, you you do podcasts, you do everything, and I'm just I gotta say, like, you know, not not to fan out on you too hard, but I think this is really cool to be talking to you today, man. This man, is, this is awesome. well, I I very much appreciate that, especially coming from a bass player. Yeah, That's hell yeah, I love a fellow bassist. Yeah, you know. You know. <laughs> Uh, well, Jounce is in the studio right now making nice. another record, so we can look for that sometime in the middle of, of this year, I hope. Nice. Probably. I don't know. I got at, sidetracked with the baby. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we were ready to go. We were ready to go halfway through <laughs> last year, 
And then all of a sudden, oopsie, sorry guys, got a little busy. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. That happens. And uh, The Adventures of Danny and Mike, which is a podcast I do with the other Pete. Uh, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus because he also had a little baby girl and he, uh, two months ago. Nice. So we're working on getting that stuff back together. There's stuff going on. I uh, play in a, a funk, a weird funk band, like jazzy kind of thing called Middle Blue that we do a monthly show in the city. And we've had we made a record with Mike Clark, who was the drummer from uh, Herbie and the Headhunters nice. stuff, which is nice. pretty, pretty rad. So you can check that stuff out. And... Uh, I'm just a dad. Find me on Instagram if you're looking to, uh, if you're thinking about having a child. I, you can look at my Instagram and you can decide for yourself whether it's <laughs> for you or not. Nice. <laughs> nice. With the jobs I've taken, the bones that I've broken Seems nothing's the way that it used to be and now it's over, I guess This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Battle Scars off the Punchline album, Action. Visit punchlion.com for merch, tour dates and news we're on patreon now become a patron and get bonus content early episodes and a chance to vote on future episodes at patreon.com backslash oht podcast do you want to start a podcast contact chris and myself at we for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible be sure to rate review and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app and tune in next week for more one hit thunder Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.